So the economic growth story, particularly here in Canada, we'd expect to see that you know continual slowing into the first part of 2024. But when things start to uh, come back uh, and, and people start to focus on equities again and they're looking for the most attractive opportunities, they're not going to be in the Magnificent Seven. And that means there's going to be a lot of opportunity for equity investors that go beyond seven stocks. Hello and welcome to Buy Side Views at TD Securities. I'm your host, Andres Rincon. 2023 was a tough year to navigate. We had rising inflation, rising rates, uh, slowing economic growth. So to start 2024 this year, what we wanted to do is bring a guest that can talk to you a little bit about the markets, their outlook, and how to position in this new environment. So to do that, we're actually bringing in two guests, which is the first for TD Buy Side Views. We actually have the pleasure of bringing on Leslie Marks and Stephen Locke, who are co-CIOs of McKenzie Investments. They will talk a little bit about the markets, their outlook for 2024, and also about how recent changes at McKenzie are shaping and building McKenzie for the future. So without further ado, Stephen and Leslie, thank you for joining us at Bass Eye Views. Thank you for having us. Pleasure. So both of you share responsibilities as co-CIOs. That's become a little bit more common. So tell us a little bit about how you share responsibilities. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll start. Um, so we actually have distinct uh, responsibilities. My responsibilities uh, cover our fundamental active equity boutiques, of which there are 11 of our 16 boutiques. And it's very natural that that would be um, part of my uh, responsibility because my background for most of my career was to be an active fundamental equity portfolio manager here in Canada. So I, um, I, I've walked in the shoes of the teams uh, that I manage at McKenzie. Yeah, and I cover fixed income and multi-asset strategies, as well as a few other areas in our global investment operations and a commercial real estate portfolio. So uh, there's five teams that report into me. They're a little bit larger teams, and they tend to have a quantitative focus to some degree. So we have a specialization between us that really focuses on each of our backgrounds and allows us to bring sort of focus to the teams and in, in developing their business at McKenzie. And I wanted to actually come back to a point that you made. You have 16 boutiques, and I find that really, really interesting. Uh, tell us as, as CIOs, how do you actually harness the, obviously, the, the uniqueness of these seven, 16 boutiques and are able to deliver a message, um, our, you know, unified message across McKenzie? Mm -hmm. Well, we think of the 16 boutiques or our boutique model as really our um, special or our secret sauce, if you will. Um, it's definitely unique here in Canada. And for our investment teams, I think the first point I would make is it's a very compelling opportunity for them in the investing landscape. And what I mean by that is they get the ability to have autonomy in how they manage their portfolios, their teams, their talent, um, and they really like the independence. And each one has a unique either investment style or asset class. So they don't compete against each other. And um, they also have the benefit of having access to the bench strength or shared services of a much larger company with deeper resources. So for a portfolio manager, it's kind of the best of both worlds. 
it is pretty impressive that you can handle all, all you know the 16 at once and, and on 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 that note uh, i think leslie you you're now three years into the role yeah coming up change. to three years yeah all that you know that's congratulations thank you and uh in, in mckenzie has also gone through some changes recently maybe you can talk, talk a little bit about the changes at mckenzie and how, how that's helping you build for the future. Mm -hmm. So McKenzie is very much, you know, as a firm, the umbrella of the organization is very much solution focused rather than product focused. So if you think of each of our boutiques, the 17 boutiques, they each represent a building block for um, portfolio solutions. And, and that's really the way our industry is evolving to focus on outcomes rather than just pushing product. And most solutions are really um, comprised of not just fundamental other equities or fixed income um, products. These days, you have the ability to enhance the alpha or the outcome, whatever the objective is you're trying to derive, by also utilizing alternatives and ETFs. So some of the changes that we've made recently are really about thinking, and, and I think you said it in your opening comments, about being more future thinking and, and where the industry is, is headed. And of course, there is the ability with more solutions and an investment on um, more future-oriented solutions to um, come up with better outcomes by investing strategically in key areas. And I used ETFs and alternatives as examples of that. So going beyond just a straight equity portfolio or a straight fixed income portfolio. And actually, because you mentioned alts and ETFs, I, I believe those are you know very important businesses for McKenzie. Actually, for Caldwell, yeah, you were one of the first to launch alts uh, here in Canada, and you're obviously a very large player in ETFs here in Canada. Maybe you can uh, touch a little bit on those two specific areas uh, and how you're seeing the evolution there. Sure. Uh, you know, obviously, there's an evolving landscape, and part of that landscape is how advisors like to build their book, how they like to deliver investment returns to their clients. There's no one way to do it anymore. There's, there's a growing number of ways that they can do that. So McKenzie wanted to produce solutions that we can enable advisors to reach their goals with their clients. And there's multiple different uh, markets that, that that encompasses now. Alts is a more recent uh, component of that, really in Canada, and McKenzie did launch some of the first liquid alt funds in Canada. Um, we've continued to innovate in that area because we believe that alternatives to uh, traditional beta or beta plus alpha type investing is something that's an integral component of building a good portfolio. Uh, the ETF market is another example. We brought four active uh, fixed income ETFs actually to the market in 2016, and we've grown in both passive smart beta and active spaces for ETF offerings over the last seven years. McKinsey recently published its outlook for 2024. You call it, I believe, uh, the blue book, which I do encourage all of our listeners to uh, read and go on the website of McKenzie and look for it. And so tell us a little bit about the market outlook at McKenzie and what uh, the next year will mean for the markets. We did sort of the review of last year, and I think what people mostly care about is, so what, what do we think is going to mm. happen um, next year? And we think that next year is really about the transition from a focus on inflation and the impact that that's had on interest rates and how that has played out through capital markets towards uh, more of a focus on economic growth. 
um, despite the fact that we've seen, uh, you know, very high uh, levels in interest rates, um, we're only really just starting to see the impact of that on the biggest economy in, in the world, that being the United States. So a lot of uncertainty, I think, comes from um, the, you know, what happens here. I would sort of describe it as um, the best of times and the worst of times all, all together. You know, we're sort of in the midst of this little spike in economic growth, but um, every piece of data that we're seeing day to day now is reinforcing this view that the economic um, backdrop is going to have headwinds. And that's certainly going to play out in equity markets, even though it isn't today. Um, but we think that the front half of next year will be a little more challenging for equities. And um, that leaves some room for bonds after three very tough years um, to, to have their day in, in, in the sun, uh, uh, certainly as we start through the year. And I think I'll turn it over to Steve to elaborate on that. Yeah, no, it's certainly been a rough ride for fixed income investors and, you know, with, with a really historic rate hike cycle that's come to a completion. Um, here in Canada, starting locally, I mean, we've had obviously a lot of rate hikes from the Bank of Canada pushing the overnight rate to 5%. And uh, that's caused a distinct uh, impact on the economy because we're very interest rate sensitive here. And I think advisors know that from many of the conversations they would have had with their clients over 2023. Of course, yeah. The full impact of that was still be coming through and being felt right through to the end of the year. And, and we expect to see that continuing in 2024. So the economic growth story, particularly here in Canada, we'd expect to see that you know, continuing slowing into the first part of 2024. So, for, so it's underweight equities, it's overweight fixed income. Well, actually, what part of fixed income specifically are you looking to overweight? So we, we've definitely boosted durations. When you think about our, your total fixed income portfolio, we've gone back to neutral durations here. And that's reflected in a lot of geographies now. It was sort of partly done through different curves throughout the 2023 through the year, reflecting where we thought in different markets the, the rate hike cycle was truly done. Uh, so when you think about that, we like Canadian duration. You want to have a neutral duration at this point. Uh, when you think about inside the fixed income market, we like investment grade corporate debt and even the highest quality space within high yield. Uh, in those markets, you're picking up some extra carry, some extra income or yield from the bond portfolio. And you're investing in the range of yields of five and a half to seven and a half percent in that in this market. So it's a, it's a pretty attractive opportunity for the first time in a decade and a half for investors. So last year was bonds are back and this year bonds are here to stay. I guess that's the message. It's, that's, that's truly the message. I think with the central banks being done and likely to hold the policy rates in a higher range than we've seen for many, many years, investors can start to tiptoe back in and, and, and acquire some total return and yield from fixed income. Right. And, and, and Leslie, uh, when it comes to equities, so obviously... Uh, your outlooks for to be underweight equities, but will there be a time where it will be favorable, do you think, to buy equities? Well, the short answer, Andres, is there's always a time to, to buy equities. And, you know, for most people thinking long term around the place that equities play in their portfolio, um, they shouldn't be trying to get so cute mm. about timing uh, in, in and out of equities. Right now, we see a window, we think, over the next six months where, and, and, and really, it's just a modest underweight to equity. So we have a, a modest, if you will, um, preference to, to fixed income or, or, or bonds. And I could see once we see that recalibration uh, for the economy and in turn earnings, you think about what, what drives equities. Of course, it's the earnings and the price that you're willing to pay. All of the movement up in, in equities this year has all been driven by multiple expansion. Earnings revisions have been you know, flat to down 
uh, throughout the year. So we looked at we looked at the quarterly expectations for next year and feel that they're still too optimistic. Um, earnings revisions downwards. We don't think we're going to get a lot of multiple expansion uh, from this point until we hit that sort of thinking that we're near the bottom in earnings revisions downward. And we think that comes around the middle of the year. And then we start to see um, the new cycle or the next cycle um, will, will arise. And that would be the time when we think that equities uh, will be attractive again. Now I'm actually going to go back to that. And do you think it will be the Magnificent Seven, as, as you call it in the blue book, or will it be Canadian equities, broad U.S. equities? What, are, what, what do you think will be the most favorable areas to go into? So I'm so glad that you brought that up because it's actually what's making me um, more excited about stocks versus the benchmark returns. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is that uh, Magnificent Seven, uh, those stocks have been very strong and they have been driven by fairly strong fundamentals. They're, they're, they are the stocks that have actually experienced strong earnings revisions when you look at the S&P, for example. So they've been driving the valuation higher for the S&P 500. But the other 493 stocks that haven't really been participating and have experienced sluggish earnings, and that's again where I bring in the metaphor, it was the best of times and the worst of times, the best of times for the seven stocks, the worst of times for the 493. There's a lot of attractive opportunity particularly in areas that are really unloved, like U.S. small mid-caps, for example. Another unloved area is Canada. We're trading at much lower uh, multiples overall, and we know why that is, because of the concentration in our market and our, our dominant sectors are out of favor. But when things start to uh, come back uh, and, and people start to focus on equities again and they're looking for the most attractive opportunities, they're not going to be in the Magnificent Seven. And that means there's going to be a lot of opportunity for equity investors that go beyond seven stocks. Well, that's great to hear. And I guess active management plays a big role in making sure that it's not just those seven stocks that you have exposure to, right? Well, and, and that goes back to positioning, your positioning question for about McKenzie. Um, and, and Steve played on it as well. And not one size fits all. There is a place for um, passive parts in your portfolio. But in some regimes like the one we're seeing right now where there's been so much domination by a few stocks, from a risk perspective, you should be thinking about active management to moderate that risk because right now there's so much risk in you know the loved few stocks in, in markets. And we have them here too. They're just, mm. There just aren't seven. Right, right. Yeah. And now how does uh, active management play a role in fixed income in these markets? Well, I think it's, uh, for Leslie's point, I mean, risk management is a big part of active management. You're talking about trying to get the best risk-adjusted returns out of a portfolio. When you think about a, a passive product, which is a great building block for a portfolio, it tends to have a methodological association to how much risk is in there, and it, it tends to move with market capitalizations most of the time. So um, in this case, we can do a lot of different things to diversify risks within a, any basket of securities for any of our 16 boutiques and how they approach active management. In fixed income, uh, overweighting credit in different parts of the cycle, different quality within credit, different duration, mm -hmm. so term to maturity within the basket. There's a lot of different things we do in the fixed income portfolio. And if we look at it over the course of time, uh, active fixed income tends to be a place where you can get a little bit of the free lunch that we've often read about in theory, mm -hmm. right? Can you get a little bit of risk-adjusted return advantage from active management? And fixed income has shown over time that it can do that. So we think that that's a, a very viable place for advisors to think about an active strategy to 
boost yield and total return potential. A lot of your investors and some of our advisors, um, they want to know what your outlook is for the Fed and BOC, and you touched on it already. So why don't you give us a bit of your insights there? Yeah, Andres, it's a, it's a, it's a timely question because, of course, we're, we're seeing this growth slowdown underway and we've had a lot of rate hikes. Uh, when we look ahead into 2024 here, we're seeing, I think, a great potential for the Bank of Canada to have to cut rates because the Canadian economy has been so interest rate sensitive. It's well known within our mortgage markets right. and so on how many variable rate or or fixed rate mortgages that are in fact going to be coming due in the next 18 months, where Canadian households are really going to feel the burden, uh, finally, of those rate hikes that we've seen from the last two years. So uh, the economy and the slowing economy and that perspective on households and how they're going to feel that impact means we think the Bank of Canada might be one of the first to end up cutting rates among the developed central banks. And, will, the and when will that be? Do you, when is your forecast? I would say, you know, if you're looking toward the middle of the year, it's, it's, right. that would be the estimate as to when we would see those cuts. So again, a lot depends on how the ebb and flow of economic tides over the next couple of quarters. But when we see what's coming ahead and the sensitivity in the Canadian economy, I would, I would say it's more likely toward the middle of the year we're going to see a cut. So where are we in terms of valuations and the credit cycle? Why don't we start with equities in terms of valuations? Where are we today? It's a tale of two worlds. Um, the, the headline number for the S&P um, looks a little bit pricey in the context of earnings growth expectations. But on the other hand, if you dissect it and you know, you shouldn't really selectively do this, but um, we're sort of forced to do it with the strength that we've seen in, in the top seven performers, um, valuations actually look okay. But the earnings number we think is at risk. Right. So if you're looking at estimates, they're around the 8 to 10% range, both for Canada and the U.S. If those numbers start to come down, then, of course, equities are going to look a lot more expensive. And so valuation is really not a compelling reason yet to get into stocks, into U.S. stocks or the S&P 500. Um, but that doesn't mean there aren't opportunities where valuations are attractive, as, as we talked about and I gave U.S. small mid as an example. Canada is kind of another story um, because Canada has already experienced some significant headwinds in earnings. And, and Steve talked about um, the interest sensitivity of the Canadian uh, economy. The Canadian economy started to slow in um, June of this year. So it's, it's probably about six months ahead of the U.S. economy. And um, so Canadian stocks at 12, 13 times earnings are actually quite attractive and, and by historical standards, that would make for an interesting entry point, even if we saw three to four percent downside in earnings expectations for next year. So it's a little bit of a, a safer bet just because of where Canadian stocks have traveled throughout this year. They haven't been that strong as performers as we've seen in other areas of the world. And what about the, the risk of defaults going into uh, into obviously in this year? Well, it's good news for credit investors. Uh, so we're looking at valuations right now that are fair value. They're not, we're not seeing super cheap credit, but we're not seeing a rich perspective on valuation within corporate credit. So when you think about the other side of the equation then is, well, what about defaults and recoveries? Um, default rates have been very, very low and for the last couple of years. So that's, that's good news. But then as we see a little bit of weakening in the economy, as we've talked about, and, and perhaps some challenges starting on the earnings front, the question is, how does that translate into a default cycle? The good news for credit investors, again, is that, in fact, defaults, we expect them to be quite low, trending up a little bit in 2024, but still well below long-term averages. Uh, and uh, really, it's going to be concentrated as well. Certain businesses over this cycle have become over-levered, and they tend to be 
very low quality businesses, maybe reflected in their credit ratings already. But as I said a, a little earlier, the, the higher quality space, even within high yield, the double B market, offering very good yields today, spreads are a fair value and defaults are gonna be remaining very low as we look through 2024. Leslie and Steven, thank you for joining us at Buy Side Views and thank you for giving us your outlook on 2024 and the evolution of McKenzie. Well, thank you for having us. It's been a great chat. Thank you, Andres. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in until next time. Thank you for listening to Buy Side Views at TD Securities. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. For more thought leadership content, visit tdsecurities.com and follow us on LinkedIn for all the latest TD Securities updates. For relevant disclaimers to this series, please refer to the episode page on our website.